Okay, let's pray and let's open up God's word this morning. Thank you so much for this flock. And I just personally, Lord, thank you for bringing them as pastor. And uh, we praise you for how you've led us and how you've, you've provided for this flock. I'm so grateful. And thank you that I get to preach this morning. And would you come and speak to us and strengthen us and encourage us in how you call us to live. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. This is the last Sunday in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. And as we always say, if you need a Bible, we really want you to have a copy so that you can have a Bible in front of you to look at and circle words and write margins, although don't do that in these Bibles, but the, the Bibles that you bring that are on your own. But we want to have you to have a Bible to study this morning as we look. So page 982 in the Bibles we're passing out. So we come to the end of this powerful letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And in this last section, what Paul's doing is he, before he signs off, he wants to thank them for financial gifts that they've given to him, financial support gifts they've given to him over the years. So that's his point here in this last section. And as I studied this passage and just said, Father, what do you want to say to Mercy Hill Church? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to us through this passage? My sense is that the Holy Spirit, through the Word this morning, wants to stir every single person here with fresh passion for giving to others. Maybe it's giving financially. Maybe it's giving time. Maybe it's giving babysitting. Maybe it's giving counsel, giving prayer, giving encouragement, giving love, giving affirmation, whatever it might be. I think the Holy Spirit wants to use this passage as Paul is thanking these believers for how they've given to him. I think God wants to use this passage to stir us up to fresh levels of giving to others. And a crucial part of being a follower of Jesus is giving to other people. Our lifestyle should be marked by Risky, sacrificial, loving, serving, giving to other people. I mean, Jesus said in Luke 6.38, Give, and it'll be given to you. And Paul quotes Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, as saying, It is more blessed to, what? Give, than to receive. And so followers of Jesus are marked by giving. If people watched you live for a week, one thing they should be saying is, maybe they say, I don't really believe this this person does, but man, he or she gives. Sacrificial giving, sacrificial love, sacrificial care for those around us. So I thought of an example. I think many of you know Jason Belk. Jason and Aaron are coming back from being away at a bed and breakfast this weekend. He just texted me this morning, but he had really serious pink eye uh, this last weekend, or last week, um, and the doctor said that Aaron really should live somewhere else, because it was that serious. Newlyweds, tragic, you know? And so the Keeners gave Aaron a place to stay, so that she had to be apart from Jason, but at least she had a place to stay, so giving. And then yesterday, Raj Aver flew into town, Right? Friday, flew to town. His dad has some health issues, and so dad's in Fresno. So Joe gave time to Raj by picking him up at the airport. Remember Raj, he's in Thailand now, missionary supported by our church. And I thought of the the ships who are organizing a garage sale 
so that we can contribute stuff and have money to give to the church planting effort in Morocco. So just those are some examples of how this last week or recently things are going on in terms of, of giving. Jesus calls us to give to each other, to those in our neighborhoods, those in our workplaces, to give. Love, serve, give. And God wants to use this last section of Philippians to stir up our passion to give. So let's look at what he says in verses 14 through 23. Now, right before verse 14, Paul has just said, I've learned how to be content when I had very little money. He's just made a passionate statement of that, and so he wants to make sure that they don't think that he doesn't care about their gifts, and that's why he says what he does in verse 14. Yet, so in spite of the fact that I've been content without money at times, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints here in Rome greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So the Philippians had given Paul financial support, and he wants to say thank you. And to do this, he re- he recollects, he describes the ways in which they had given to him. So let's start with that question. How had the Philippians given to Paul? And Paul mentions in verses 14 through 16 three particulars. Let's just go through them. How had they given to Paul? First, they gave from hearts that shared Paul's trouble. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share. Now that word share is the Greek word koinonia. It was kind of you to share my trouble. So when they heard that Paul had financial needs, they didn't say, oh, that's just really too bad for Paul. You know, poor Paul. We're sorry, Paul. You know, hope that gets worked out. No, they, they shared in Paul's troubles. They, they took Paul's troubles on as their own. They owned Paul's troubles, and they sought to alleviate, to help, to serve, to take care of his troubles. And see, that's what Jesus calls us to do. If somebody you know needs babysitting, that's not just their trouble. We're a body. That's our trouble, right? Like if your big toe has a need, you don't just say, well, too bad. It's like, ah, okay, you're going to take care of your big toe, whatever it might be. And so if somebody in the, in, in the body of Christ needs babysitting, that's your need. That's your trouble. And so your heart will be stirred. But it's not just the body of Christ. If someone in your neighborhood like needs a meal or needs to be driven to Kaiser or you know, help fix their flat tire, 
their trouble becomes your trouble. Those are the kind of hearts that Jesus gives to us. When he, when he causes us to be born again, he so satisfies us in himself that there's this overflow of, of love and of care. And so whenever you see a need, there's just this sense of moving towards the need. You share their trouble. Now this isn't easy to do. And what I find is one of the reasons I don't do it too often is because I'm very preoccupied with my own heart needs. I'm discouraged about something. If you're discouraged, then it's hard to own somebody else's trouble, right? I, I'm, so I'm discouraged about something, or I'm worried about something, or fearful about something, right? Jealous about somebody, feeling empty about something. Okay, just my own heart needs can preoccupy me. Your heart needs can preoccupy you so that you don't have the emotional capacity to own anybody else's troubles. So how does Jesus then enable us to own other people's troubles? Here's the best news in the world. What does Jesus say about our heart needs? John 6.35, okay? I love this verse. You know I love this verse. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. So all of your heart needs... Every heart need that you will ever have can be satisfied and alleviated if you will come to Jesus and believe in Jesus. You you trust him. You see all that he is as displayed in the scriptures. You pray over those until the Holy Spirit comes and strengthens your faith and you see and you feel, Jesus Christ, you are my prize. You're my refuge. You're my provider. You're everything. And when you do that, your heart will be full. And then you'll have the, the bandwidth, the emotional capacity to to share others' troubles. And that's what the Philippian church had been doing. They'd been seeking the Lord, trusting the Lord, bringing all their heart needs to him. He'd been satisfying them, strengthening them. So when they heard that Paul has money needs, they owned that trouble. They shared Paul's trouble. So think, do you know someone right now, maybe in this room, maybe at your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, who has a trouble, who has some trouble, and the question is, are you sharing their trouble? Are you koinonia-ing with their trouble? Are you owning their trouble? Are you feeling it as if it was your own trouble? Okay? Let the Lord so fill and satisfy you that you've got, got love to burn, right? You've got grace to burn. So that when you when there's needs out there, your heart will just be drawn. Okay? If your heart's not being drawn, you've got to get filled up some more. But do that. And that's what the Philippians did, and so that's why they gave from hearts that shared Paul's trouble. Secondly, they were the only church that gave to Paul. Verse 15, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Okay, so there's one church of all the churches that Paul had planted that was giving Paul financial support. And so Paul wants to mention that to say, thank you. Thank you so much. So I was praying about this verse, saying, well, so Lord, how is that helpful for us? And what struck me out of this is, what this shows us is that giving to others does not come automatically to churches or to Christians. Right? Do you see that? The only church that gave was the church at Philippi. The other churches weren't giving. So giving doesn't come automatically to us, either to individuals or or to churches. 
See, if we don't put effort into keeping our hearts full of the Lord, keeping our hearts inclined towards the Lord, if we don't put effort into that, then we will be so preoccupied by our own heart needs that we will not have the capacity to love. And so the Philippians, they'd given to Paul because they had been diligent in keeping their hearts towards the Lord, trusting Christ, walking with Christ, abiding in Him, letting His Word abide in them. They'd been fighting the fight of faith, so their hearts were full, and so they did have the capacity to give. So giving doesn't come automatically. Don't think, well, because I'm a Christian, I'll just, I'll just be able to give. You've got to fight the fight of faith every day. Take every heart need to the Lord. He will fill you, just like Paul's been preaching in this letter. And then you'll own, share people's troubles, and you'll serve them. Third, they gave Paul money more than once. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So they didn't just share Paul's financial troubles once. The second time they heard Paul's got more financial troubles, they shared those troubles too and gave again. And then a third time they heard Paul's got more financial troubles, they shared those financial troubles and gave again. So they were just giving, giving, giving. Very unusual, powerful, strong church here. So what struck me is that do you find this happening, that it's easy to give and serve someone once, but then maybe that'll like be it? Anybody else ever done that sort of thing? Okay, a few of us have. So I was thinking, why is that? And, and one reason I think that we can give once and then stop is because we're not motivated for the right reasons. And if you're motivated just out of duty, you're supposed to do this. Or if you're motivated out of trying to impress other people, none of those motives are sufficient and none of them last. Because if you're just doing out of duty, that's going to run out real quick. Your willpower can't carry that very long. And if you do it to be to impress other people, that's never satisfied you, has it? Nobody ever notices enough and they don't thank you enough. and Right? Just because that's not where you're supposed to get your motivation. But if we're motivated by Christ, and we're going to see in this next section of this passage how Christ motivates us. It's very powerful to read about. But if we're motivated by Christ, He's always there. He's always motivating us. Jesus Christ will always fill us, satisfy us, and motivate us so that we can keep giving. And so that's what the Philippians had been doing. They'd been before the Lord, motivated by him alone. And so whenever Paul's financial needs came up and they heard about him, they owned them and they served him. They owned him them and they served him. They owned Paul's financial needs and they gave towards Paul's financial needs. And so here Paul thanks the Philippians. Thank you so much for how you've given to me. Now, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying in these verses. Let the church at Philippi be a model for us. Okay, they shared Paul's troubles. Okay, they, they were the only church that responded to Paul's troubles and they did it more than once. So let the Holy Spirit stir your heart. Is there some way that he's stirring you right now about somebody else who has, a tr- has trouble? Family member? Neighbor, um, work associate, home group member, church member, somebody else he's stirring you, they've got trouble, and he's and the Holy Spirit right now is, is calling you to do something. Is that happening yet? Okay, I hope it is. I'm praying that he'll be doing that in us. But now, let's take whatever the Holy Spirit is stirring from our hearts from this first section of this passage, and let's look at this second section where Paul encourages the Philippian believers to keep giving. 
Here he wants to motivate them to, to continue on. So here's where our motivation comes. What Paul says next in this section. How does Paul encourage them then to keep giving? And how will Paul encourage us to keep giving? So you've got somebody in your mind. Maybe it's a it's an older neighbor who who just, maybe you're going to walk with that neighbor. Who knows what it might be, but he's going to be stirring something in your hearts. So how does Paul encourage them? How would Paul encourage us to keep giving? First, their giving will increase their heavenly bank account. This was amazing to see. See, we could think Paul encourages them to keep giving just because Paul needs the money. And he did. But that's not the main reason Paul was encouraging them. Look at what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. That's not what I'm seeking, church at Philippi, when I'm encouraging you to keep giving. What I'm after isn't isn't the money here. Not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now that phrase, to your credit, does not mean that Paul's talking about other people giving them credit for having given. It's not the kind of credit Paul's talking about here. He's talking about, it's a, it's a financial term, monetary credit. He's talking about having a bank account, and if somebody credits you money into that bank account. So what the picture Paul has here is that every believer has a heavenly bank account. You have a heavenly bank account. And when you give, that heavenly bank account grows. Now, what's in that bank account? And, ha- and, and so what is it that grows? Crucial question. It's not health and wealth. It's not material comforts or prosperity. God can give those or not. And very often he chooses not to. It's a whole other topic. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's what he's been talking about all through the letter so far. Like chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He's talking about the gain of knowing Christ. Or Philippians chapter 2, first couple verses. He's talking about the encouragement of knowing Christ, the love that comes from fellowshipping with Christ, the affection that's there between a believer and his Lord, his Savior, her Lord, her Savior. Or Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. So just look ahead. See heaven right there? See that, that bank vault? Okay, see how you've got a safe deposit box there? And that safe deposit box is full of joy that you'll have in knowing Christ, worshiping Christ, fellowshipping with Christ forever. You know about forever, right? You know how long forever is? Forever. So that's what Paul's talking about here. And what Paul says is that when you give to others, time, energy, money, love, listening, in, you know, bear inconvenience for them, whatever it might be. When you give to others for Christ's sake, your heavenly bank account of joy in Christ will grow. It'll grow. Which means that forever you will have more joy in Christ than you would have had you not given. This is huge for us. The whole issue of motivation is 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 so important for us to understand as as believers. What I see in the scriptures is that the main motivation that we are to have is we want more of Christ. He's our prize in this life. We've tasted of the goodness of the Lord in Christ, and we want more. 
And God gives us more as a reward for our obeying. Now let me just clarify, that does not mean we earn more joy in Jesus by our obedience. Our obedience is so unworthy of anything that it that, that just wouldn't work. It, it's, it's all because of what Jesus has done in dying on the cross, paying for our sins, clothing us with his perfect righteousness. And because of what Jesus has done, God mercifully looks at you and says, I'm going to reward your undeserving faith. For Christ's sake, I'm going to reward your undeserving faith and your undeserving obedience with more joy in my Holy Son forever. So it's all mercy, none of it's earned, and yet it's still reward. You give, and that'll be to your eternal bank account credit. It'll be credited to your eternal bank account. Now, this might puzzle you a little bit. You might be thinking, doesn't every believer have joy in Christ forever? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because what Christ has done Every single believer here, you're going to have joy in Christ forever. And you'll be full of joy in Christ forever. Okay, so if every believer has joy in Christ forever and is full of joy in Christ forever, well, then what's the difference of the rewards? And and a Puritan Thomas Watson put it this way. It's been so helpful for me. He says, every believer will be full of joy in Christ forever. But believers will have different capacities for joy depending on how they've lived here. In other words, if you live your life receiving from Christ for your heart needs and giving to others, you might have like a, what's that, what's that big cup at Slurpee that you buy with, what's that called? You might have like a big gulp capacity. Big gulp, you all familiar with that one? Like this, like that, that's the 32 ouncer, right? Okay, so you might have a big gulp capacity for joy in Christ as you've been, you've been receiving from the Lord and giving. You might have just a big gulp capacity, that's pretty good. If you go through your life and you don't do that much, you might just have a little shotgun glass, shot, shot glass, not shotgun, shot glass, thank you, big difference, shot glass sized capacity. Or if you live like, like Paul did and you lay your life down for Christ's sake, he's filling you and you're moving ahead in risk taking, sacrificial love for believers and you're for your family and for the lost, you might have like a 50 gallon container capacity. All full. Shot glass, full of joy in the Lord. Big what? Big gulp, full of joy in the Lord. 50 gallon, full of joy in the Lord. But you can be more or less full. No, that's not how to put it. You're all full, but you have greater capacity for fullness. Thomas Watson said it better. Okay, so that's what I think is going on. So every single person here, if you're trusting Christ, you'll be full of joy in Christ forever. That has been purchased for you on the cross. It is secured, signed, sealed, not quite yet delivered, but it's coming. And the way you live now can increase your capacity for joy forever. Now, this is massive. We're talking forever. The way you live this afternoon can increase the joy you have in Christ forever. None of us gets this enough. This is the most unbelievably exciting and motivating truth. Jesus. You've tasted of Jesus. Just this morning in worship, you've tasted his glory. You've beheld him. He's amazing. We can know him. The joy you've had in him is better than any other joy in the world. 
and the way you live now can increase that for you forever. Mercifully and undeservingly rewarded because of Christ, because of the cross. So that's what Paul says here. That's what he's looking for for them. That's why he wants them to keep giving because it will be to their credit. It will increase their heavenly bank account. Second, their giving is a fragrant offering which pleases God. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here's the picture. In the Old Testament, believers would bring animal sacrifices to the Lord, like a ram or a sheep or an, an oxen. Sometimes that offering was given to picture the penalty being paid for sin. That was all fulfilled in Christ, but it's a picture of what Christ would do on the cross. So some of those sacrifices, it was to picture the penalty for sin. But there were other sacrifices that didn't picture the penalty for sin. Other sacrifices displayed the worth of God. So somebody would say, God is so glorious, I'm just going to burn up this oxen here just to say, you're awesome! I don't care about the worth of an oxen, you're so infinitely more than that. And so just take this oxen, kill it, and burn it, just as a display of God's worth. Now, animal sacrifices are over because Christ was the one pictured by those sacrifices. He fulfilled all those sacrifices. So the sacrifice Paul's talking about here is the kind of sacrifice that displays God's worth. And just like in the Old Testament, if somebody like brought a, a ram, bought with his hard-earned money, and just says, burn it up on the altar as a way to display God's glory, as a way to display God's worth. When you love someone and take on someone's troubles as your own and serve someone, for Christ's sake, you're displaying God's worth. In other words, when, because of all that you have in God, you're willing to give away time or give away convenience, or give away money to meet somebody else's needs. Say, why are you doing that? I've got so much in God. (laughs) Who cares? Look at all that I have. Do you see how that displays God's worth? When you're so captured by who God is, when God's filling your heart, and you're willing to give time, money, listening, convenience, Because of all that you have in him, this shows everyone else that God is worth everything to you and more. You're sitting at Starbucks, listening to someone, giving someone time, for Christ's sake, displays the worth of God. And that's what Paul's talking about here. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So when you babysit for someone in your home group, take that time. You make a meal for someone in your neighborhood, Take that time, that expense, that effort, that, that energy. It displays the worth of God. And so when you are serving each other or your neighbors or your work associates, even in ways that nobody else notices, God notices. It's a fragrant offering. Mm, because it's displaying his glory. He's passionate for his glory. And he sees you displaying his glory in that way. And it's a fragrant offering. It's a, it's a pleasing sacrifice to God. God is smiling when you're serving others in ways that you think nobody else sees. God sees. He's pleased. 
And doesn't that just stir your heart to think that you could do something this afternoon that would make your creator, your father, the God of the universe, pleased? Don't you want to please God? I love the thought that I can please God, and it should break our hearts when we don't please him. But the thought of pleasing him, this is a good thing. And so this is the second motivation that God, that Paul gives. Their giving is a fragrant offering which pleases God. And then third, he encourages them that God will supply all their needs. Verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. One thing that I think keeps us from serving others, giving to others, caring for others, is the thought that we will go without. I won't have enough time, I won't have enough money, I won't have enough energy, whatever it might be. But see, here's a promise. My God will, I'm going to underline that word, will, this is an absolute promise, will supply every need of yours. Every need. Not every want, but every need. That is, everything you need in order to fulfill God's call on your life, everything you need in order to have your heart filled with joy in Christ now and forever, that's, that's the important stuff. Everything you need for what's really important, God will provide it for you. Provide, provide, provide. Every need he'll provide. My God will supply all your needs, every need of yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we're going to go plant a church in Abu Dhabi. And a fear that, that I've had from time to time over these last weeks is what if, I, what if I don't have the wisdom I need to plant this church? What if I don't have the vision I need to plant this church, the preaching I need to plant this church, the discipleship, leadership ability to plant this church? What if I don't have the energy I need to plant this church, right? Those are the kinds of things we, we struggle with. This verse has been so helpful for me. Pray over this verse, grab my verse cards, head out to the creek trail, pray. Say, Lord, I'm not not believing you right now. I don't believe that I'm going to have all that I need because you're supplying me. And time and again, the Holy Spirit has strengthened my faith and filled me with peace and filled me with joy. See, I know I'm going to have everything I need. I mean, we've got it made. Every single thing Steve and Jan need, we're going to have. Everything. So, why am I worried? I've got to read the verse again. Okay? And, and Paul gives this to them because he wants to encourage them to keep giving. And notice, he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's not just a throwaway phrase. What this means is, this, this means that in addition to like financial needs or energy needs or wisdom needs, he's going to be giving you outpourings of his glory revelations of his love, displays of his beauty. He's going to meet you with his, and and that's the best. He himself is the treasure. He's going to give more of himself to you. So here's what this might mean. You're sitting there at Starbucks, listening to someone, giving them time. You can be absolutely confident that God will give you all the time you need. You're giving them time. God's going to take care of the time issue. Okay? But not only that, maybe on the way home, while you're driving, he's going to pour his love into your heart. Pour out his glory upon you. Fill your heart with who he is to bless you. Or maybe you're, you're writing somebody a check and you're thinking about, you know, maybe somebody in your home group has got some financial needs and you're thinking, oh man, what if I, what if I run out? Okay, you can be confident God's going to provide all the money you need. 
And not only that, but maybe after you've written that check and maybe the next time you open up the Word to read, God may start to give you some revelations of His majesty and glory more than you've ever known before. According to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need we have, including needs for more of Himself. So here Paul's thinking about how God's going to be giving the Philippians everything that they need, supplying all their needs, the creator of the universe, meeting needs right and left, dozens, hundreds, thousands of them. God's just pouring out need, meeting, provision all the time. And he's and according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, and Paul is getting so caught up with who God is, he just in verse 20 bursts out with worship. Here's what he says. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you feel that? God loves to pour out grace, mercy, provision for undeserving people like us because of Jesus Christ. God's an ever-flowing fountain of good, never-stopping, ever-flowing fountain of good to everybody who will put their trust in Christ. And so Paul says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So let this motivate you. Bring your heart needs before the Lord. Let him fill you, satisfy you, and then own other people's troubles. Share other people's troubles and serve them this week. But we're not done with the passage, with the book yet. A few more verses. Three more verses. 21, 22, and 23. So I read these verses. This is Paul's farewell. I noticed how much giving is going on in these verses. Let's just wrap this up. How do we see giving in Paul's farewell? Verses 21 through 23. Start with 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He calls them to give greetings, which means encouragements, blessings, love to every saint, every believer. Okay? Give greetings. Verse, uh, keep going in verse 21. The brothers who are with me greet you. So Paul gives them greetings, encouragement from the leaders that are with him. Verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So Paul gives them greetings from all the believers. A lot of giving going on here. And then look at the blessing Paul gives them in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. I want God to give you even more grace. So Paul blesses them with that, that blessing of grace. So see, God's people, Jesus Christ is pouring into our hearts. We're filled up, and so we love to give. We love to give greetings. We love to give blessings. We love to give encouragement to each other. And that's what's happening in verses 21 through 23. Okay, so here's the question, church. How is the Holy Spirit stirring your heart today, right now, to share someone else's troubles, to own someone else's troubles, to serve someone else in some maybe sacrificial, risk-taking, loving ways? Are, are 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 you opening your heart up saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do I know that's got troubles? Whose troubles have I not been sharing in? Whose troubles have I not been owning? Lord, fill me, satisfy me in yourself, and I'll give. So I would encourage you, trust the Lord for all of your heart needs and step out and serve them. And here's why. Your giving will increase your heavenly bank account. More joy in Jesus Christ forever. It'll be a fragrant offering that will please God, and you will experience God providing for your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So Mercy Hill, here's what I'm going to call you to do. Luke 6, what Jesus said. Give. Give. Give, serve, own people's troubles, give. 
and it will be given to you. Just like Paul said. Let's pray together. I ask, Lord, that you'd be moving upon us right now and that, that you would be stirring our hearts about people who have troubles, needs, neighborhood, workplace, home group, broader church body here, family. But Lord, stir our hearts now with people whose troubles you want us to share, to own, and to take steps to help. Stir us right now, Lord, I pray. And have us set our hearts on you as our motivation, all that we have in you and all that we will have in you forever. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.